The Pace Line is a production of the Cycling Independent, a reader and listener supported cycling focused website where every bike is a good bike. And if you ride bikes, you're one of us. Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, how you doing, John? Uh, it's not so snowy there? It is not snowy here. Uh, on Monday night, the forecast was for eight inches of snow, mm-hmm. and I can report to you that as of Wednesday, there are zero, there are no inches of snow. <laughs> so... <laughs> A swing and a miss from the National Weather Service. Um, did this do anything up in Vermont that's going to cause you and the rest of the fam to jump in the car and head there? No, quite the opposite. Uh, <laughs> it dumped it dumped all of its snow in uh, New York, Connecticut, and uh, Cape Cod got some snow. <laughs> but the parts of the world that I you really want to have snow or I really want to have snow did not get snow. Ah. Uh. That's that's a a shame. It's funny because as we were going to bed Monday night, my wife said, uh, eight inches of snow tomorrow. And I said, and she was like, oh, you know better than the the meteorologist. You're a meteorologist now. And I said, I'm going to predict two to three inches of snow. And she said, "Uh, why do you, why are you, you know, like basically why are you such an arrogant whatever? And I said, well, here's the thing. The 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 weather folk are uh, they're trying to get it right for sure. And mm-hmm. they've got advanced modeling. And I understand that they've got the the standard American model and the European model. And they, you know, each meteorologist sort of blends their view based on reading both of those things. But what they really don't want is to predict six inches and we get 12. Yep. So they're all. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're going to give you what they think is the most snow we're going to get. We very seldom get the most snow that's forecast. So, I mean, it happens. It's mm-hmm. a it's a hard business weather prediction. I'm not um I have no issue with their use of the science. <laughs> um so I predicted 2 to 3 and so when 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 yesterday it turned out to be nothing, I said, "Look, even I was wrong." <laughs> Well, you know, I, I I like your humility in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you base it on? I don't know. I just um, I take whatever they say in a in a in an extreme weather situation. I take whatever the meteorologist says and I discount it because they're trying to give you. Mm-hmm. They are duty bound to give you the worst case scenario. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Well, I am. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to use the word pleased, but I can report that spring is here uh, in Northern California because the ticks are out. <clears throat> yes, I see a Band-Aid affixed to your <laughs> neck. Uh, yeah, yeah, I got to spend, uh, I don't know, it was five or six hours at the ER on Monday. Um, there are an awful lot of places around here where it's still just too wet to ride. It's not cool to go on those trails. 
Yeah. But I went on some trails with friends uh, in Sonoma Coast State Park, uh, some out of the way stuff that was not torn up and was not soft when we got to it. That was really wonderful. But there were an awful lot of trees down. And so there was an awful Mm. lot of tree clearing and brush clearing and that sort of thing. And uh, I may have had some branches like rub across my face and neck on occasion and the rest of my body. And uh, Monday morning, uh, I felt something sore on my neck and then kind of touched it a little. And then it it flipped around like it was flaky. Oof. And yeah. uh, at that point, I said, self, we should look at this in a mirror. Um, and I got to the mirror, you know, eight or nine steps later and realized, oh, well, your day has just taken a turn. Uh, and I went straight to the ER, uh, and, uh, by the time I, I was already really weirdly feeling off. And by the time they got me back into a room for treatment, you know, whereupon I waited for another hour, I was feeling sick, uh, Mm. off, not, not flu like yet, but just my body was not the way it had been, you know, the previous day. Um, and I have a history of actually showing illnesses crazy early. Uh, mm. it's one of the reasons encephalitis didn't kill me. Um, they, they caught it really early. Uh, mm. so, uh, I then proceeded to meet with a doctor and, uh, argue with him about things like the incidence rate of Lyme disease. He liked saying Lyme's disease, which I found disconcerting. Um, you kind of want precision in your medical professionals, I think, Mm-mm. uh, you know, call me crazy. Um, well, with Valentine's day on the, <laughs> on the horizon, maybe he just conf- <laughs> conflated those two, but go on. Uh, you know, I eventually got some antibiotics and I am pleased to say that today all I am suffering is a slightly sore spot on my neck. Huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I think all of that segues nicely into my poll for today, mm-hmm. which which I will enjoin, which I will get in harness now. Cool. Um, today, I want to talk about mud season etiquette. Oh. Uh, and there are two reasons. I the don't first even know what is that is. Mud season etiquette? Uh, well, maybe I do. I'll let you continue, and then I'll find out if I know what you're talking about. This feels like every conversation between us where you wait to find out if you know what I'm talking about. Um, the the first reason I wanted to bring it up today is that we seem to be getting warmer, wetter winters here in New England, or at the very least, we're getting less snow and more rain. Mm-hmm. Um, all of my uh, all of my claims to meteorology, meteorological acumen uh, aside. Um, there were a few weeks where we had a snow, a, a very minor snowpack here in Metro Boston, but now it's gone. Um, and if this trend holds and actual meteorologists think it will, uh, we'll be into snowless winters soon, um, sooner rather than later, really. And that means we need to tune up our thinking about when it's OK to use trails and when it's not. Oh, uh huh. Yeah. The second reason is that I. I was out this last weekend, and while the trails were mainly dry, there were some muddy spots, Mm -hmm. and it got me thinking about how much mud is too much. 
what might be a good and constructive way to think about this? Um, in fact, my buddy Bruce said as we were riding something something to the effect of what percentage of the trail can be wet and you still still feel comfortable riding? Now, at the moment, we had just traversed a patch of mud uh, uh-huh. and none of us likes to leave tire tracks anywhere if we can help it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we stood there and talked about what might be acceptable. <laughs> um, like, is 5% OK? Uh huh. Uh-huh. For example, or is any mud at all an instant no go? Um, and I don't know that we came up with a an answer. And that presupposes that you know in advance what the percentage is, which you don't. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's really my single greatest struggle is like trying to understand, you know, what what the conditions are out there without going full Schrodinger's cat. Right, right. Right. Is there actually a better example of Schrodinger's cat than wandering about the mud on trails? Because um, the moment you go ride the trail, you've just done something to the trail if it's actually muddy. That's correct. It's a good point. And if it's not muddy, you haven't done anything. You know, the cat's still alive. That's right. And for those of you listening who are really scratching your heads, just Google Schrodinger's cat because we do not have time for a digression that explains or the or the 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 uh horsepower pardon i, I don't have the horsepower to explain oh, it. oh i see i see i see i see well before we before we get into um kind of how how you can know what's going on let's first talk about what's at stake mm-hmm. uh there are two big problems in my mind the first is that when the trail is muddy people skirt the edges and widen the trail uh huh. Which kills plants. Yep. You know, it, it it makes the potential muddy spot wider for next time, which then kills more plants. It becomes you you can see this on certain trails, right, where there are these sort of bulbs of of wear and and widening, yeah. where people have tried to get around. Um, mm-hmm. you know, avoid getting mud on their shoes, or <laughs> if you're on a bike. Your face. Um, <laughs> the, the second problem is that walkers and hikers who see tire tracks on a muddy trail will seek to exclude cyclists from trail use. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone who's thinking, but those people um, put wear and tear on the trails, too. I would just say, yes, I know, but not in their minds. So, <laughs> again, as winter changes and more people want to use the trail, um this is going to become fraught. And as far as I can tell, riders usually lose in these scenarios. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What I can tell you from some personal experiences at the tail end of the summer when we had just a, a lot, a lot of rain was that our local mountain bike associate association, NEMBA, uh, worked with some of the trail apps to mark excessively wet trails as closed. Wow. So if you went into all trails or trail forks, trail forks, you would see little X, little red X's on certain trails. Wow. We discovered that um, after driving a long way to get to a really killer trail system and seeing a sign that said it was closed. And of course, we were like, well, it's closed. We're not going to ride there. Uh, Then we looked on on I don't know which app. To say, well, where 
where else could we go nearby? And we saw, oh, this one is all marked with red X's. And we looked at another one and there were some red X's there and we found one that was unmarked. So we went there and discovered, yep, that's a dry situation. Wow. Um, not everyone will check online first, but I think this paradigm seems pretty encouraging if we can get people thinking this way. Uh, I, I'm astounded and uh, pleasantly so. Yes, yes. I think I think it's a good use of the technology that exists. Um, for, I was talking with friend of the show, former co-host Patria Vandermark the other day, and she was telling me that a lot of trail systems themselves now have Facebook groups where mm. you can get current trail conditions mm-hmm. and those will warn you away if riding isn't kosher at the moment. Um, so Facebook, you know, search, search your trails on Facebook and see if there's something, something there, uh, that could be instructive. And here's the thing. I'm sure no one listening thinks of themselves as a cavalier trail wrecker. Uh, but say you've organized some friends to ride and maybe it takes you some time to get to the trailhead and you start to ride and find one patch of mud. Well, you'll keep riding because you put effort into getting there and who turns around for one patch of mud? I get that. Um, it's natural, but I've been on a few rides where we should really not have been out and it's hard to get the whole group to buy into canceling a ride. You're already on. Yeah. Inertia really takes over, you know, the people are like, well, this is the only spot I have in my day or, you know, it very quickly becomes about the individual's just desire to ride and they're already doing it. Mm -hmm. What we want, I think, is to avoid heading out into a mistake like this in the first place, Um, which means checking in with whatever sources you think you can find for the area you're thinking of riding. Mm hmm. Uh, If we give any air to the culture of ride everything all the time, we're going to lose in more ways than one. I'm already seeing, you know, groups of riders out in the rain, in the woods. And yeah, especially in a metro area like this, where we have really great trails. But if you take two of those patches out of the system, you're really hurting a lot of people who Mm want to do it responsibly. Um, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning, and we discussed this on our ride the other day, is that those of us who are out on the dirt all the time really do owe a debt to the trails, uh, which means signing up for trail maintenance days where those happen or organizing one with your riding friends. Like you don't necessarily, uh, like I went to a NEMBA meeting actually just last night, New England Mountain Bike Association, Uh and, and I got some info on working on the specific trails I ride, which is great. And I'm going to plow some time into that. Um, But even if you just go with your friends to the place where you normally ride and you just do some basic things, uh, which might mean tamping down tire tracks or cleaning litter. Uh, Our friend, Steve Knievel carries a litter bag with him every time he goes anywhere Wow. Uh, and cleans. I've been on, I've been uh, out even just walking with him and he's picking up litter. (sighs) So if that's a thing you can do where you ride, I think anything we can do, um, you know, we're working on both sides of this equation. We're trying to get more people out on the trails, but more people out on the trails means more wear on the trails. Mm -hmm. It means more litter. Mm -hmm. Um, and so those of us who care need to care. Uh, Yeah, I 
I completely agree. Um, I had uh, an experience a couple weeks back. Uh, you know, we'd been having a lot of rain and I hadn't been on the trails and hadn't been on the trails. And then finally, there was like a three day stretch where I thought, I, I, I think I can go up in there and, you know, uh, find something where I'm not, you know, riding through splashes of water, um, mm. and have a good ride. And so I, I did the big, uh, fire road up into Annadel and, uh, you know, rode around and things were looking pretty good. And I turned onto this one trail, South Burma, I'm maybe 50 feet into it and it's just standing water on the trail. Right. Uh, not a lot, but you know, it's, it's more than just a little puddle here and there. I, you know, I'm 50 feet from the turnoff and I just went, I can't do this. I, I just, you yeah. know, I, I don't feel right. And I turned around and went out and somebody passed me going into the trail as I was coming out. And I was like, <laughs> um, yeah. And you know, uh, regarding your, uh, your point on, uh, local groups there. They say it's no more, but there was a club here Anadol mountain bike group. Um, it's in disarray for reasons I don't understand, but it still serves as a, uh, uh, um, the Facebook group serves as a dispensary of information about Anadol. Um, mm. and so that's a place where I will check in for information, but it's, yeah, this problem of like, how do you know how good it is? We don't have anything going on here like you have with Namba and the trail apps where um, we can consult something and find a big red X. That would that would give me such peace of mind. Yeah, one of the things that was confounding to me the other day, so we went out, there had been... 10 minutes of rain the day before mm -hmm. um, and none for a while before that. But we've had some ice melt and some other things. Um, we intentionally avoided areas that we thought are, this is low lying. It's near the marsh. It's going to be wet. Those areas were dry and other areas like on hillsides that you would think this will drain almost instantly that's where we encountered the mud. So it was really <laughs> counterintuitive. Uh -huh. um, places we thought would be really safe were not, and people places we thought would be no-go were fine. So go figure. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Just in case, just in case you think you're clever enough to uh, predict the snowfall, uh, you're you're not even clever enough to predict where the mud's going to be on the trail. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. I'm. Mm hmm. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Man. I think I think also and, and I've probably shared a few videos like this on the website, the classic um, uh, downhill or, or uh, let's say free ride video they make in Whistler. They make on a rainy day or a muddy day. And one of the the tropes is the shot of the tire churning up you know, mud and whatever as the rider like skids through or whatever. Mm -hmm. That is a bunch of horse. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's, it's problematic in a couple of ways. Um, you know, one, yeah, it sends absolutely the wrong message, uh, mm. no matter how cool the cinematography is. Um, right. 
But, you know, there's this other reality of the fact that, and I can't speak for Whistler. I have not ridden right. there. But my experience riding other places in the Pacific Northwest now, that soil is just different. It drains easily, uh, if mm. not instantly. I have done mountain bike rides in the rain or at least in drizzle. And, yeah. you know, you ride through an area and it just looks kind of like hero dirt. And you right. just keep riding and there's no problem. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, I've tried to explain to people I know up there, no, like there's just so much clay in our soil here. It rains one day, you're off of it for three. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, soil quality has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think there's any ironclad rule. Like, you know, it rains one day, you wait three or From I don't think there's an ironclad here. rule. Just around yeah, no, here. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I think this is the the point about this is that it's it's going to be local. Mm -hmm. You have to seek local intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've been living here eight years and I'm still asking other people, is it safe? You know, right. <laughs> I, I joke that I'm still the FNG. I mean, there are other people who've moved to this community more recently than I have, but I still feel like the new guy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Cultivate that frame of mind. That's probably good. You know, humble serves me well, mostly. <laughs> All righty. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. This month, we're sponsored by our good friends at Seven Cycles, who've been in the vanguard of American custom frame building for more than a quarter century. I worked there for most of a decade, and I learned more than I knew there was still to learn about bikes. When you work with Seven on a bike, you get real input into the design. They offer more tube set options than any other builder. They offer more ways to customize your bike. The process is deep, but it's also fun, and the result is a bike you'll love riding for a lifetime. We've secured a few places in their busy build queue for Paceline listeners, which means now you can get a fully custom dream bike from Seven in just three weeks from the time you submit your measurements. This is the fastest route to the very best bike you're going to find. Just head to sevencycles.com TCI to find out more. Okay, we're back with the Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. What's your pull this week? Well... Based on reader interest, I'm taking on toe overlap this week, given mm. that it's been rather popular on the site. So toe overlap probably doesn't need any explanation, but just to explain it anyway, it's the phenomenon where a rider's toe touches the back of their front wheel or fender. Um, it's a phenomenon that can really surprise you, uh, but it's also true that it's no big deal. Um <laughs> And right now, all of our listeners who live in the Pacific Northwest are nodding and maybe laughing. Sure. Uh, so that said, we're going to talk a little bit about front center, um, partly because it helps to explain it. But it's also the single weirdest dimension of a bicycle frame. It's weird because unlike top tube length and chainstay length, it doesn't relate to the length of a particular tube. Um, it's the distance between the center of the bottom bracket and the center of the front dropout, the axle, uh, measured in a straight line. And toe overlap happens due to an interplay of front center, crank arm length, cleat position, shoot size, tire size, and the presence or not of fenders. Um, 
Which is to say, there's no easy way to predict when a rider might encounter it, except that as shoe size and tire size increase, or as top tube length decreases, the more inevitable it becomes. Um, when you're traveling any faster than a walking speed, you're unlikely to turn your front wheel enough for the tire to rub your shoe. Um, so there aren't many circumstances where it's really a problem. Uh, and the solution, you know, fortunately is relatively easy at low speeds. If you are going to make a sharp turn, just make sure to keep that outside pedal down. Um, I encounter toe overlap on occasion when I've been stopped on the bike and need to make a sharp turn to get rolling again. Um, I will also get it on rare occasions when racing cyclocross, uh, not that I've done that lately, <laughs> uh, or riding single track on a gravel bike um, in which I'm both pedaling and making a sharp turn. Uh, more diminutive riders tend to have toe overlap issues due to the short top tubes of their bikes um, and making a smaller bike, the distance between the front wheel and the bottom bracket, again, front center decreases. Um, and bike designers have ways to work around this. Um, but that's not really today's topic. Mm. Um, and I got to say, toe overlap is not just a phenomenon of small bikes though. Um, it's more of an issue than it was 25 years ago because Cleat position has changed, uh, or at least the thinking on cleat position has changed with fitters. Um, years ago, the uh, fitter, uh, in being trained as a fitter, I was taught uh, that you want the cleat directly below the ball of the foot. And the thinking has changed that you actually want the cleat a little bit behind the ball of the foot, just because it's a more natural position for the foot to find on a pedal. Um, and, you know, as a result, that means the foot is further forward and, you know, on bikes that I never had to overlap on years ago, um, these days I would have it. Um, it, it is interesting because if your toe will clear that tire by two millimeters, mm -hmm. you would never know it was close because there's no feedback to that. It's not like you feel the wind on your toe. Yeah. You know what I mean? As the tire goes past. So <laughs> you could very literally be just about there mm -hmm. and have no clue that it was tight. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. Um, you know, and in moving the cleat toward the midfoot, you know, that, uh, that caused me to become aware of the fit of the front of shoes uh, in a way that I wasn't uh, some years ago. Um, you know, in, in the past, I was just always concerned about having a big enough toe box. Um, and if for some reason the toe is really long on a shoe, that has an influence on whether I end up with toe overlap. I've got some shoes that it doesn't happen on. Yep. <laughs> um, it's important to understand that toe overlap can't happen on road and gravel bikes once you're moving fast enough to need to lean the bike to turn. Once you're counter steering, um, mm -hmm. once you're leaning the bike over to turn uh, and counter steering, you won't be turning the bar enough to make contact between shoe and tire. Um, and because toe overlap can't happen at speed, 
that means it only happens at low speeds. Um, and so, you know, part of the little comfort that, you know, comes with this is knowing that it's never going to happen and result in a high speed crash. Um, but I do get questions about it from friends from time to time, you know, how to solve for it, like a quadratic equation. Um, and there are really only a couple of uh, variables that can be adjusted. Like I mentioned, um, different shoes will have an effect uh, depending on how big that toe box is and how long the toe is. Um, but, you know, the easiest one, if you've got fenders on your bike, take them off or uh, move to a shorter fender uh, on the front. This would probably be the occasion when I say I'm not going to comment on what that does to your feet on what days, mm -hmm. uh, but it can take care of the toe overlap. Uh, the next option, um, a little more expensive, uh, is to run a smaller tire. On one of my road bikes, I have no toe overlap with 28 millimeter tires, but I do with 32 millimeter tires. Well, there's those two millimeters the, I was talking about. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um... Option three is to move to smaller cranks, such as replacing those 172.5 millimeter cranks with 170s. That's a rather pricey option. Um, so it would be smart to measure just how far down the toe the tire makes contact. And usually you have good evidence of just where it's making contact. Sure. <laughs> Courtesy of the little black mark. Um, but, you know, uh, when... When buying shoes, when fitting shoes, I would certainly encourage people to take a look at the shape of that toe now in a way that I wouldn't have talked about 15 years ago. Yeah, I, I find this interesting. So I've got this history of um, selling custom bikes and we mm -hmm. have people come to us and say, well, I mean, one of the questions we ask is, can you tolerate toe overlap mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we're designing the frame? So. Uh, is toe overlap okay? Yes or no? And I think there are some people who are like traumatized by it. <laughs> yeah. Either either it caused them to fall down, mm -hmm. and I say fall down and not crash because, as you said, it's only at low speed this is going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe they've fallen down, or I mean, I've had it happen where I'm turning, usually in a parking lot, when I'm turned around. You know, mm -hmm. I'm trying to just do a tight turn to get back somewhere, and it's quite jarring. But um, the real solution is just to drop your pedal out of the way on tight turns like that. And I think people um, people often are looking for, quote unquote, technical solutions to behavioral problems. Right. Right. Um, they don't want to change the way they or they just don't think that they can change the way they do a very slow speed turn. Um, but I have bikes that have toe overlap and no problem. Um, and not because I'm clever, just because, <laughs> oh, I've caught that toe enough times. I know now I need to move sl slightly differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I have to admit here, um, every time I put the fenders back on my drifter, um, there's there comes uh somewhere between me and the uh my my home and the first stoplight um i'm i'm probably gonna you know at least clang that front fender or something i'm gonna get a little reminder that there's less room to work with exactly 
Yeah, and hopefully you get the reminder. I'm not advocating for anyone to do a thing that they that injures them. Certainly no. not. No, but no, no. but uh. I do think um you can get wrapped around the axle with this, no pun intended, <laughs> when um really you should just drop your foot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, every time I get back into the rainy season, there's a certain amount of reminding myself fender on bike. Um, you know, don't, don't turn this too quickly when you're going slow. Uh, yeah. I'm realizing even as I say, just drop your foot. That's not what I do. I roll the foot backwards out of the way. Oh, uh-huh. Cause uh, that feels you, like more in control than dropping. Keeping, keeping the crank level and then dropping your heel. You can drop it. Sure, that's one way. That just tilts the foot. So your yeah. cranks are level, but you've tilted your foot enough. But I'm saying, actually, as I'm saying I'm turning left, I roll the pedals back over oh. so the right comes out of the way as I turn. And that's because a lot of times pedal tension helps you keep balance, etc. <laughs> um, and you don't have great pedal tension as you're rolling backwards, but that's a movement that I'm used to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, Whereas I think if you um, if you drop your foot forward to move it out of the way, uh, you are leaning out of the turn. It is more um, it is what what's momentum. The momentum is wrong there for me. OK, I, I can see how. Yeah, um, I move in that way on occasion. That's yeah. that is something I do. Yeah. Um, good point. Huh. Alrighty, well, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Sure thing. So this week, and specifically because it's snowing here yesterday, although that turned out to be a bust, ruined my whole <laughs> opening to this pick, <laughs> I am I, I am picking the, you know, the damn weatherman just ruined my, uh, ruined my Paceline Pick. Anyway, <laughs> I'm picking the 45 North Sturm Fist 4 Winter Cycling Glove. You know, I complain about um, product names all the time. Uh-huh. 45 North is doing it right. They they have somebody on staff there understands playing with language. Yes. Yes. So the, the Sturm Fist 4 winter cycling glove. This is the warmest cycling glove I own. And it's the one I go to on days when it's below 25 degrees Fahrenheit, which is what, like negative three, four centigrade anyway this is an insulated hybrid glove mitten thing uh you get your thumb and first two fingers free and your ring and pinky go in a mitten so it's a partial lobster it's a glitten it's a glitten (laughs) it's a muv um there basically isn't a name for the shape of it but the bottom line is it leaves you enough dexterity to shift your bike which is always the problem with warmer gloves Mm mm-hmm the insulation is Primaloft Gold, eight ounce. Mm. Uh, it comes. They come also with a merino blend liner that Ooh. comes comes out. I actually wear the liners on their own quite often to run in. Uh, but you can also the, vary the warmth of the setup by riding without the liners. Sometimes I'll start with the liners. My hands will warm up. I pull the liners off, jam them in a pocket, and I'm good to go. Oh, um, I have worn these downhill skiing also for whatever that's worth. Uh, 
This pair I have now has been going for about five seasons, although mine do have a large electrical tape patch on them because I had a close encounter with the chain link fence a couple years ago. <laughs> um, that's not a comment on the glove, but it is pretty funny. Uh, sizing runs extra small to double XL, and the current version comes in three colors, um, one of which is black, which is what I have. <laughs> Surprise. At 130 bucks, these ain't cheap. Uh, but technical solutions to extreme weather challenges seldom are. Um, I think of these as, you know, when you're riding and it's and it's hard winter, I want to have a lights out solution. And these are that sort of like mm-hmm. current lights out solution to hand warmth in cold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I know a you. lot of people that would wear, wear these, you know, at 35 I'm probably that guy. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, I want to comment for a second on the fact that they offer, what is that, six sizes, extra small to 2XL. If you make four sizes of a glove, neither your small or your medium will fit my hand. Um, Oh. So I I look, uh, when I'm looking at gloves, I look specifically uh, at models that come in at least five sizes. Because I know if they make five sizes, one of them is going to fit me right. Um, mm. And if they're four, you know, it's going to be off to some degree. It, it right. just, it's just guaranteed. So uh, a company that makes six sizes, um, yes, give them your money now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. Um, I know a bunch of people who wear them. I mean, 45 North is kind of the go-to brand for cold weather stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Does Patria with her fat biking, it, it, does she have like an entire 45 North wardrobe at this point? Yes. Uh, I believe that to be true. I don't know another person on this planet who likes riding in the snow to the degree that she does. I don't either, but she is. Um, I was reading about um, a higher level mathematics last night, which is neither here nor there, <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, there was a group of um, Russian mathematicians who were part of this uh, religious sect called the Namesayers, mm. and they um, they believed that by repeating the name of God, they could draw closer and uh, know God's will. But they equally um, believed they were high level mathematicians also, and they believed they could call uh, abstract mathematical concepts into existence simply by naming them. And they did. Um, Patria, he said, he said, attempting to land this ridiculous airplane he, he's flying. Patria is creating a sect of fat bike riders. She is. She is. Based yes. on what I'm seeing on social media. Yeah, she is uh, building her own commune. Yes, she's calling it into existence uh, with a smile and a laugh, which is her way. Right. Uh, it's very impressive. Yeah. I mean, you know, if this whole bike thing doesn't work out, she could go into diplomacy and like solve problems around the world. I, th- I believe that to be true also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. My pick is a cool company that came to my attention this winter called Ocean and San. Uh, for cyclists on the west side of L.A., that phrase is an abbreviation for the intersection 
of Ocean and San Vicente in Santa Monica. This is just above the beach in Santa Monica. Uh, and uh, it's just a classic gathering point uh, for for rides. Um, and Ocean and Sand makes lifestyle clothing that is mostly, if not entirely, cycling inspired. Um, and I've been wearing their all day shirt. It's got a low key sewn on logo on the front and then a very cool design on the back, which I will not do it disjustice uh, by trying to describe it. New word. You heard it here first. Disjustice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plus two rear pockets and a zippered security pocket in the middle between them. Oh. Now, some years back, Rafa did a series of five sort of T-shirts um, commemorating uh, the five five-time winners uh, of the Tour de France, uh, plus one guy who won it seven times. Um, yeah. Sort of. Mostly. Uh I loved those shirts. They were super stylish. Um, and, you know, like the Mercs one recalled the colors from the Molteni uh, team, which he wrote on for many years. And it had one pocket sewn on the back. Yep. Um, you know, like a breast pocket, just in a very, very different spot. Yep. I loved those shirts. I still wear them. Um, and what's that's part of what the appeal is uh, for this. Uh, I like stuff that makes me look like I'm a cyclist without looking like I just climbed off my bike. I don't want to look like Billy Blastoff, but I like saying, Hey, I'm a cyclist. Um, and so this shirt scores high on that scale. Uh, it's cut from a cotton polyester blend. Uh, so it breathes well. If you do wear it on a spin to the tap room, um, I'd compare it favorably with bamboo. It's that soft. Um, It's a black shirt with white design. Oh, say less. (laughs) 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 And and that is the one and only color this one comes in. Oh, Uh, wow. It does come in five sizes. Uh, I wear the medium, and right now I'm about 165 pounds. Um, I'm also wearing their Pathfinder socks. Uh, This is a thin sock that would be very well suited to cycling shoes. Uh, The all-day shirt goes for $73, and the socks go for $22. I did not purchase these. Uh, They were brought to my attention by friends in high places. Uh, It is quality stuff, and I wouldn't hesitate to give them some Jacksons. Nice. Yeah. This reminds me, my good friend, Bob Scales, Uh uh, formerly of the Chris King Precision Components Company, uh, who also runs his own clothing business, Hmm. um, he tailors his own shirts. So product of Bob Scales is the name of his company. He makes really beautiful shirts out of really nice fabrics, but he made one uh, with that little sewn on pocket on the back. So it is built for, you know, ride to the meeting, do the meeting, ride home from the meeting, look like a cyclist, but also, I mean, Bob is one of the more stylish people I know, but I only mention that because it does have that exact same vibe of love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Love that stuff. Very cool. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. We would love to hear your thoughts on anything we talked about today in the comments on the Cycling Independent. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We have three, five, and $10 options, as well as a tip jar for those who are not really into commitment. Um, 
And uh, we now have all of our PayPal or, uh, issues sorted out. So things work correctly. That's right. Podcasting ain't free, folks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tip your servers. They happen to be us. <laughs> That's right. Also, we pay other servers. Um, we do. We yeah. do. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, while there are a few fees like that that we have to cover, most of what we're bringing in goes to our contributors like uh, Steve Ol and Johnny Raz uh, and others. Maureen Gaffney and a couple other new ones I'm working on bringing in right at the moment. And I'm talking to two people as well. Oh, it's going to be great. Yeah. All right. We need your help to keep doing what we do. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.